Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other CryptoCurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes. What's going on, Cryptocurrent crew? Welcome to another edition of Cryptocurrent Live. I'm your host, Stephen Miller, and this is my co-host, Chris Corneros. And we are here to bring you some of the biggest news that's going on in crypto today and also catch you up on some of the hot topics that you need to learn a little bit more about to stay crypto informed. Chris, how are you doing today? Well, I was doing great up until about 15 minutes ago, Steve. How are you doing today? You know, I'm actually doing okay, um, all things considered. but we actually started out the prep for this episode thinking to ourselves, like, we're going to talk about the latest allies that Bitcoin has in, in the war on crypto, as you might have seen from our thumbnail. Uh, but we just got some word in the last couple of minutes that apparently the war just took a turn. So we're going to bring that up a little bit later on in today's video. Um, before we dive in too far, I just want to give a quick friendly reminder to everybody that is joining us today, whether you're a first-time viewer or you're new to the show, or I'm sorry, that would be a first-time viewer. If you are not new to the show, um, we are essentially crypto commentators, financial speculators, and otherwise your friends in this evolving world of crypto. So nothing that we give you on the show is financial advice. We are simply here for informational purposes. Um, with that being said, there were two quick things I wanted to hit on before we actually kick off the show today, Chris. The first is, what do you think that, um, about this whole massive Shiba Inu uh, sell-off? Uh, hang on, I need to feign surprise. Ah, shocking. I'm so shocked that this is happening. Dude, we, we, we gave a, a massive segment to dog coins like a month and a half ago. And yet you and I were so freaking surprised when we see Shiba just freaking take off and we're seeing like 2,800% gains on Shiba. And we're just, we're sitting there like in awe of ourselves. Like, you know, we called this a couple, a couple weeks ago. But at the same time that we call it, we also did call it a shitcoin. And it is. And it's proving that right now. Oh, yeah. We were, I think we were the only podcast or like crypto media platform out there right now, though, that actually spoke about some of the other things Shiba's doing. You're like, yeah, you know, it's still a dog coin, but it's dog coin plus because there is some chops to it. And here we are watching the dip become an even larger dip. Look, man, it just... It really does hurt my heart in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. So look, the rest of the industry is off to a, a flying start though still. I mean, you've seen so much growth across the last couple of weeks um, in a lot of these great layer one projects, whether you're looking at Solana, Avalanche, um, and actually even today, which is something we're going to bring up in a little bit, another little piece of breaking news that's uh, 
popped onto the wire in the last hour or so. Um, but I think the other thing that I wanted to bring up is this idea of like hero worship in uh, crypto before we dive in too far. Um, the reason I lead off these shows with like, we are your crypto commentators and your financial speculators is because frankly, nobody in this space knows what's going to happen, right? You can watch BitBoy as much as you want. And, and he 100% thinks that he's completely right. And that is conviction. And I respect conviction. But nobody is 100% right. They can't get the call right every time. And we have a really toxic trend going on right now where people are truly assigning like this hero identity to crypto influencers. So I wanted to get your take on that. What do you think of the current environment within crypto influence? You know, I'd say it's, it's very similar to influencers in general, right? Um, the first influencers really in the United States would be the Kardashians. So they're very often called like the American royalty because they have a fan base that's so obsessive and just raiding fans of them that they are like the British royal family is in the UK. And so I'd say that in crypto, it's similar, right? You have these influencers that hold a similar level of worship, right? They're essentially royalty in the crypto space. And I don't think it's any different than, you know, all these other industries and spaces where there are influencers, but I still don't think it's a good idea because at the end of the day, you know, it's crypto, I'd say we're lucky where we do have some influencers who are technically knowledgeable enough or yeah, they, they actually have the right to be telling you what they think and you should listen. But like all other fields, we also have influencers in the space that started as content creators and they knew nothing about the technical side. They knew nothing about the you know, chart patterns and finance. And now after doing it for a few years, they feel as if they're experts. But the reality is they've spent the last few years instead of actually learning, just making more content on it. So like we like to say here, do your own research, take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Yeah. And, and beyond that, like the other thing that you need to be aware of as whether like re almost regardless of your experience in the space is that these influencers, and even if you want to consider people like, you know, Chris and I influencers in the space, there are different degrees of knowledge, right? Here at Cryptocurrent, I like to consider us almost like true fundamentals experts. We look at the fundamentals behind projects to determine whether or not they are foundationally sound. Do the tokenomics make sense? Is the project's vision and development plan sensical? Do they actually have a product live and demoable? Things like that. How does the team stack up? Whereas you have the other side of analysis, which is technical. And that is what Chris was talking about, looking at the charts. We don't really focus a lot on TA here because it is something you have to have a very, very high level of expertise in to even speak moderately knowledgeable not knowledgeably about. So again, keep in mind who you're watching, understand where they're coming from, but also don't go creating an idol out of them. Don't put any influencer on a pedestal. That's the big message I think that more people in the crypto space need to start hearing. And I just wanted to make sure that we're doing our part to push that out a little bit over here. Um, there is a third space. And of course, that's on-chain analysis. Only one person, in my opinion, actually speaks to that particularly well. And that's um, Will Clemente. So yeah. if somebody else is like claiming that they're an on-chain analysis expert, really do your diligence into them and make sure that they're actually backing up um, with proof 
what they can claim in terms of what they're bringing you. So um, Chris, I think that kind of wraps up our uh, pre-show topics here for a minute, but let's go ahead and dive into today's topic of conversation. Today, we are talking all about Bitcoin's latest allies in the war on crypto and also going to give you a brand new segment of Two Bulls, One Coin later on. So let's jump into the first part of our show, which as you all may know is... In Buy, Sell, or Hoddle, we give you a couple of hot takes on the current news that's going on and trending in the crypto space. And the first one we want to bring up today is this interesting um, topic around EA Gaming. EA is a popular centralized brand um, in the gaming space. And depending on how well you know gaming, uh, popular may not be the word that you'd use. (laughs) So um, we decided to play with it a little bit and talk about EA Sports. Is it getting into the game? So... I'd play with that for a second, Chris. What do you think about this news? Uh, it's it's terrible. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm uh, as Steve knows, um, but I'm going to assume no one listening to this will know. I uh, a lot of my experience is in the gaming industry, um, more on the esports side of things, content related stuff like that. EA has a reputation as the worst game studio in terms of their development environment, their monetization models, all of that. Obviously, I'm not going to get into the politics behind things, uh, recent social media outbursts about companies like Blizzard, but EA is the devil. They most... (laughs) Most famously, actually, EA has the most downvoted comment in the history of Reddit. Just to give you guys some context, this was back, they released a Star Wars game, and it was close to impossible to actually unlock everything in the game by just playing it, doing it for free, which they advertised heavy as you would never need to spend money. What they didn't tell people is that if you don't spend money, it will take you thousands of hours to make any sort of progress. This created a very large uproar and a developer commented and they were downvoted over a million times, I believe. Just for clarification, for those who aren't familiar with Reddit, it is uncommon to see something downvoted more than a few hundred times. So, yeah, no. Th- so this news is actually kind of wild. I mean, look, I was nearly—I um, don't want to call it a thirst trap, but I was nearly trapped into getting uh, Madden NFL 21, and I like—I sat there and like really looked at everything they added to the game for like an hour and a half before I actually went to the store. And then when I got to the store, I finally looked up one last thing, and I'm like. Oh my God. They literally just reskinned Madden 20. And Madden 20 just reskinned Madden 19. And Madden 19 just reskinned Madden 18. Like, and this, it, this trend goes all the way back to like Madden 16 or something. Oh, like they, that. They've been doing it. They've done it in all of their games, NHL, FIFA, et cetera, for years. It's gross. And interestingly enough, FIFA, as in the, you know, Federation of International Football Association, so the global body of all soccer. And for football in the world, just <laughs> announced a few weeks ago that they're ending their exclusivity partnership with EA to develop FIFA games. Seriously, God bless you, FIFA. Thank oh, you I know. for doing something wise. Another organization that's very eh, but they're doing the Lord's work right now by not partnering with EA anymore. Yeah, no doubt. Well, look, the, but, big, uh, news, the big news in this, though, is that EA CEO... Um, on their Q3 earnings call said that NFTs and blockchain-based games are the future of the industry. 
So you've now heard a number of different studios come out and say that the old model is going to eventually be completely obsolete and we're moving into a true play-to-earn model. So again, what Chris explained a couple of seconds ago was that their traditional methodology was pay-to-win. Very important distinction there. That means that your ability to succeed in the game is paywalled at a certain level. And that's on any game that they have put out. Oh, yeah. There's uh, most famously in the FIFA esports ecosystem, uh, a big part of like the player contracts. So the people who are on the professional teams, right? You have one player playing against others. Their contracts, so in all of their contracts, there's a stipulation that they'll get, you know, X thousands of dollars every year to invest in FIFA Ultimate Team Packs to get better players. And that is at like the top level of play, right? That's not even including the millions of people who are buying all these packs just to play online and be competitive. Yeah, it's just... A lot of it's really gross. But I guess like the one question we need to answer here in terms of buy, sell, or hodl... And I'm not at all suggesting here that we get anything near buying EA stock um, (laughs) because there's too many things that could go wrong there. Um, do you think that a company like EA, who has been so ingrained in this model for so long, is actually able to pivot to play to earn? Or is this just farce? Um, you know, I've, I think it's a pseudo farce because they'll never be truly play to earn. They have proven time and time again that they are essentially now that they've, you know, they've tasted the, the cream of the crop. They've had that uh, pay to win revenue calls, right? They've seen how much they make. I don't ever see them going back to another revenue model because it's all they really know now. And yes, I could see them incorporating play to earn, but I don't see them doing away with pay to win at the same time, if that makes sense. Yep, it makes perfect sense. And I think that corporate, like in the grand scheme of things, corporate greed is forever. Like that's that's kind of my quote there. So Um, That's how we feel about that one. So let's move on to the next story today. And that has to do with Coinbase's recent announcement. And actually, it was a leak, believe it or not, um, that they're going to be piloting a new subscription service that is going to basically allow them to move to a fee-less model. Um, So what does that really look like? And for context, if you are a Coinbase user right now, you currently are paying a certain fee on your trades. So whether you are buying, selling, swapping, you will always pay a certain fee for your transaction up to a certain level, I believe. So in this new beta test that they're running, the subscription model will offer subscribers zero fees, priority like customer support, and also up to $1 million in asset protection in, in the situation that you get hacked. So on the surface here, really looking at the face of what this could mean for Coinbase users, I think it's, it's actually a pretty good deal considering if you're an active trader, you're going to actually rack up a pretty considerable number of fees over the course of a year. Uh, but what do you think about this, Chris? I think it's really cool, honestly. I think this is a smart move for them. They're clearly trying to... You know, I think they're trying to just keep pushing that top-level offering, right? Their best product currently is Coinbase Pro, and they're clearly doing another iteration of that. And to me, you know, the steps they've been taking, I see them kind of going a Bloomberg terminal route 
For those who don't know, the Bloomberg Terminal is essentially the most powerful financial software in the world, developed by Bloomberg, the company, not the former New York mayor. Um, they essentially, the Bloomberg Terminal is an actual computer, but there's also a software you can get on any, pla- uh, any software um, operating system. And the Bloomberg Terminal essentially gives you access to every piece of financial information in the world. So stock prices, balance sheets, etc. at your fingertips. And, the, and there's also, I believe, a trading platform integrated, a lot of things like that. The way it seems Coinbase is going is they want to build the crypto version of that to essentially give experienced traders a familiar platform that is ingrained within the crypto ecosystem. And I love it because, you know, to me, once that is flushed out, I could see them trying to partner up with some large funds and really scaling this out. So that way, your broker, if you use a brokerage, could then, you know, go from a Bloomberg operating system to Coinbase One. And it's a very seamless transition because I'm assuming it'll be a similar user uh, interface and experience. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about this to me is that like, we have this question up on the board right now, like, why now? Like, who is it that Coinbase is really going after? And Chris, you're right, like a, a portion of the market is going to be targeted that's like a current Bloomberg terminal user. But there's also another side of this that's like, they're clearly going to go after Robinhood's customers. Um, the, the model that Robinhood utilizes and a lot of their internal practices are very sus to me. Um, and their, paid, their actual paid subscription platform over there called Robinhood Gold is probably going to be the basis of comparison that Coinbase rolls this out over. And that would mean that it would be something to the tune of like a $5 a month plan that you would continue to pay throughout the course of a year or you could even theoretically pay yearly. So I think that not just like for the money, this is a good deal if they do actually deploy it at that price point. But I think that they're clearly going after uh, Bloomberg terminal users. They're clearly going after Robinhood users. But they, they really do want this to... They do want this to be a retention effort to a degree. And I think that is very clear in the fact that they're highlighting um, the asset protection and the support model. Because up until today, Coinbase's customer support has been notably one of the worst in the industry. Oh, abysmal. Okay? Like, you cannot get a response. If you get a response, it's typically computer-generated. It's notably bad. Okay? And then the million dollars in asset protection is, in my opinion, probably the biggest deal out of this. Because right now, there's so much risk of scams going around, like whether it's just like a MetaMask scam or SIM swapping, things that we've talked about on prior episodes. But this is like, for most small grade investors, you know, the you and me of the world that are not, you know, making a million dollars a year on this stuff yet. We like we need this. We need this type of protection. So I think it's actually really cool they're rolling it out. Um, I also really think that they needed to roll out the latter two pieces of this like years ago. But yeah, uh, you can't move all at once. The cool thing is is that this is also coming right around the times of major listings, um, like the addition of Crypto.com, um, Bounce Protocol, Avalanche, Perpetual Protocol, and even Rarible are now available through the Coinbase platform. So they're making sure that. They have a very diverse listing of assets that are available to their customers. And this is just going to continue to improve the platform. Um, Absolutely. But with that being said, um, I want to get into 
these two really interesting breaking news pieces. Breaking news. So our breaking news today, Chris, has to do with, first of all, an exciting announcement, and that is that Immutable X, which is the NFT scaling solution that's um, been developed on the Ethereum blockchain, has officially rolled out its token to exchanges. So you are now able to actually trade IMX token on major exchanges, which is phenomenal news in my opinion. Um, the NFT space has been in dire need of a you know, an actual dedicated layer two solution for scaling so that you're not paying absurd gas rates. So this is a this is going to be a turning point, in my opinion, for that market. But the bigger piece of news, um, which came out, as we had mentioned, about 15 minutes before the show, is that our lovely lawmakers in Washington, D.C. have decided that they wanted to push through an amendment into our infrastructure bill, which is going to be voted on likely today on the floor of the House, that will essentially make digital asset ownership um, a, a felony. Like that, there is no two ways to mince that one because the way the language in the bill reads, it's eight words that essentially equates um, every single digital asset transaction to that of a cash transaction for, um, I think it's 8066... Um, tax clause where you have to report on every single sender's information of cash um, over a $10,000 threshold. So if you're not reporting on every single transaction, this is both for individual consumers and businesses and DAOs and any other type of DeFi entity. All of them have to report all transactions. All of them have to report um, the individuals who are receiving and sending and providing all sorts of personal information, which is absolutely ridiculous and not even remotely possible. Um, so within the existing infrastructure, you like you cannot ask this of people who are playing the digital asset space at this immediate point in time. Um, so what do you think about what we're seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's... I'd say it actually is feasible to account, like to turn in all the transactions because we talked about this earlier. It's just not going to be in the way the US government would like to receive them, right? In theory, a lot of these DeFi platforms, uh, all these coins, they could just turn in the actual block information, which is already publicly available to the government. And that would be technically complying, of course. And beyond that, the US government will have no way to read it because... They don't have anyone who can. Otherwise, they would be in a much better position to actually regulate this. But one thing I want to touch on that you mentioned, Steve, is you were talking about transactions over 10,000 have to be reported. I don't know if you remember, but maybe about a month ago at this point or more now, the IRS wanted to... Or I think it was the Biden administration wanted the IRS to start looking at every transaction of $600 or more. So it's... It's scary, right? I mean, this is you. You watch a you know dystopian movies like 1984, and you're like, how how would people ever let it get this bad? And this is going to sound a little fud, but bear with me. This is you know the first step, right? Is governments overreaching, and governments overreaching places they shouldn't, right? It's like this is a democracy. This is a clear overreach. This is unconstitutional. That's just first and foremost. Like this is inherently against what should be allowed in America, what should happen. But you have Democrats right now 
not only sneaking this in and not announcing it, but now trying to force a vote on it, which is essentially going on right now. And again, crazy year and crazy last two years we've had. For whatever reason, again, Republicans are holding the line and stopping the vote. So interesting to see how this will develop, but it's scary for sure, right? Like they're essentially just people freak out about privacy issues with Facebook and all the data they collect and getting targeted ads. But at the end of the day, that's just, you know, getting an ad for a lawnmower after you complain to someone that your grass is too long. This is any government official, not any, but this is the government essentially being able to peel back the curtain, peel back the wall behind the curtain, and then peel all the paint off the bricks and look at the freaking atoms of your privacy. They will get all of your financial information. They'll see every transaction you've ever done and ever will do in the future in crypto. They'll know every single amount to the penny that you are transacting. And that is terrifying to me. And see, you're right. But again, like this comes down to one word at the end of the day, and it's power. These individuals within Congress that are forcing stuff like this through, that are trying to get these little amendments passed without anybody paying any attention, they want to maintain power over you. It's the same exact thing that I keep like pounding the table on about CBDCs. You know, central bank digital currencies are literally going to be put in place in all sorts of countries and deployed across the next four years. And it's just to be able to see into every single financial transaction that a citizen makes. That is so disgusting to me in so many ways. But this specific piece of legislation, and I'm going to disagree with you on this one piece of it, like it is so impossible to actually adhere to what it's asking the individuals and businesses to do in the reporting nature of it that is what is going to make it go down in the end. Or if they pass it, it's going to make every single digital asset and cryptocurrency project and even digital asset project leave the United States. This is the type of legislation that will actually cause that damage. Because yes, you can, ab- you can absolutely just submit the blockchain, submit the entire thing, show the government all the transactions, but that's not what the government is asking for here. Like You need to draw that distinction. They are asking for... You, for example, if you're a business, Chris, and you want to operate your you know, DeFi project here in the States and you are operating a protocol, that protocol will then have to essentially disclose and request from its users all of the, um, find all their you know, sender information, what they're transacting, when they're transacting it, who they are, what their social security number is, all of this information. And most of the time, these decentralized protocols are pulling in data from all over the world. Okay. There was, I was listening to this thing about the the head of Luna the other day. He got served a notice from the SEC basically telling him to cease and desist because it's a stablecoin based project. He is a South Korean citizen. They served him in South Korea. Okay, this is about power. They do not want citizens to have the power to actually determine their own financial freedom and gain generational wealth. That's what this is about. And I am disgusted by it. And I would like to encourage every single listener of this to write your congressmen, write your senators, 
Tell them that you do not want this to be part of the American narrative going forward because it's going to destroy our ability to be a part of this industry. Um, I know plenty of people within the space that are actively watching this. If it passes, they will leave the States, period. Um, and that would be largely detrimental to our um, technological and innovative growth through the future. So um, I'm going to leave it at that one before I go into a full rant. Um, I thought that was about a half-mast rant. So I'm going to just hold the line there. Um, Chris, do you have any final thoughts that you want to give before we move this thing forward? Or you just want to get this show on the road? Let's just get this show on the road, Steve. I think you did a great job covering it. It's, it's not good news. Oh, it's, it is... TLDR, the LDR, this is not good news. It's the furthest Sky, thing. Sky's not falling yet, but uh, you know there are very large cracks in the sky, right? Yeah. Well, let's move into a more fun segment, shall we? Two bulls, one coin. In our Two Bulls, One Coin segment every single week, we like to bring you a brand new project to consider whether or not it is legit or if it's shit. So this week in Two Bulls, One Coin, we've got Avigachi, which if you look at it on the surface, Avigachi is um, a really interesting project. It's kind of combining both elements of DeFi and NFTs. But if you look on the screen right now, if you're joining us on YouTube, important to mention, you are seeing the logo and it looks very meme to begin with. Um, it is an 8-bit ghost um, on a vaporwave sunset. Doesn't get much more meme than that. But uh, let's dive into a little bit about this project. Chris, why don't you take it away? All right. So the name of this project, Avagachi. And I'm sure if you take a second to think about it, you would, one, you would probably put two and two together that it sounds a little similar to Tamagotchi. Those of you who don't know, Tamagotchis were essentially digital pets in the early 2000s that you'd collect on these small handheld devices. Uh, you'd feed it, take care of it, and sleep, all that fun stuff, right? Huge deal back when we were growing up. Everyone had them. They were everywhere. And now you have Avagachi. And like Steve is saying, right, it's an 8-bit avatar on a vaporwave sunset. That is the logo. And it looks a little similar to Tamagotchi's, which were also 8-bit. And that's the general art style, right? It's clearly trying to mimic that, get some nostalgia bucks, right? But there's a cool aspect to it in that they've essentially decentralized Tamagotchi. They've built out their platform, their NFT game space to be similar. You can trade them. There are in-game collectibles, so different wearable items that you can give to your Avagachi that will increase its rarity and also increase some of the other great aspects of this. For example, just holding your NFT, playing with it will actually reward you with interest-bearing attributes and tokens for your Avagachi. And the more rare your Avagachi is, so if you have certain collectibles, wearables on, that could increase your interest rate even more, change your reward payout. So it's very much a play-to-earn type game. We touched on it a little earlier when we were discussing EA. Um, pay-to-win versus play-to-earn. This is play-to-earn. The more you play, the more you'll unlock. And the more you unlock and play, it increases the value of your avatar. And so I think it's a really you know, cool idea. This is the direction that a lot of these NFT plays that are trying to gamify their art are trying to go. And this is one that seems to be working because they have an active player base. Yeah. And I think that the one thing that is really curious about this is like, we've seen this trend start to pop up about what is people, what people call NFT-fi. 
right? They're gamifying decentralized finance in a way. So the way that you should think about this is like if you were to go buy an Avogadro NFT, regardless of what its rarity is or what any of its tr- individual traits look like, that NFT is basically attach, attaching like an escrow account to it where you can start to develop collateralized stake. So you can essentially add onto it a whole bunch of tokens and it's held in this escrow account. That is the first attribute basis that it has. Then from there, you have individual traits. Um, the traits themselves, we're not going to get into specifically, but they are di- they're what directly influence the rarity of your Avigachi and how it performs in-game. Then on top of that, where the ghost token really comes in, which again is the true token of Avigachi, is with these wearables that are essentially child NFTs of your Avigachi NFT because it's like you're giving it a sword or you're giving it um, a Bob Marley t-shirt, something like that, where it's going to then start to affect that in-game performance metric again. So each of them in this example basically have two types of value. You have intrinsic value in what is held in the escrow address and you also have rarity-based value when you look at the actual individual traits. So on the surface, I find this really, really interesting. And I think that if we look back historically, this is probably one of the very first projects that is deploying a legitimate NFT fine model. Um, so let's dive a little bit into um, this real quick on the basis of a graphic. So again, if you're joining us on YouTube, Um, You're able to see this right now, but we also do recast this through our podcast, um, just through the Cryptocurrent podcast. If you would like to come and view this, come join us on YouTube. But again, if you want to listen to this back in the car later and you don't want to, you know, feign injury by watching video in the car, you can always follow our podcast and get our latest episodes whenever they drop live. So you have to think of this like an onion model. So at the very base level, level, you have the A token collateral that is sitting in escrow. Then as you get out from that, you have the traits that are all kept on chain. It's not like these are you know posted in a centralized space. They are always going to remain decentralized. On top of that layer, that's where these child NFTs, the wearables live, and those can modify traits. From there, you then have the actual UI layer. So basically the visual representation of your interaction with the Avigachi, your ability to play with it, doing all of the things that call on the traits that are lower into the onion. Then lastly, it's putting all of it in together to the true playable blockchain avatar that you actually see at the end of the day. It's a really interesting take on how to deploy this sort of thing. But if you were ever interested in deploying an asset that has an interest-bearing mechanism within it, this is a really great chart to be able to like view and study so that you can deploy yours in a practical way. But I think that that kind of gives us enough of a way to dive into um, the ghost token. So Chris, I'm going to hand this over to you. Tell us a little bit about the CRC20. So the ghost token pretty much functions like all other tokens you'd be familiar with, right? It's... Uh the underlying coin, essentially, that is providing value to the game. It's what you use to you know, transact within this essential gaming games universe, right? That's the whole point of the ghost token. You're using this to level up your Avagachi, make your wearables nicer, right? Buy new collectibles, things like that. It's, it's 
entire function is as a store of value, right? Which we talk about a lot. This is not something you're buying and holding. This is something that has actual value that is used within this game. Okay. And I mean, it seems very cool, right? We talked a little earlier about how there's interest bearing aspects of this. The ghost token is what is paid out in that, right? So the better your Avagachi, you know, to get there, right, you need to spend this ghost token. The better your Avagachi is, the more interest you earn, and then the more you can kind of dump back in. And the interesting thing about this to me is they also have some real game aspects, right? Like this is the project so far we've described is just gamified, right? There are fun things you can do to make your NFT better. But they've also added actual games that reward you. So you can play you know, little mini games uh, that could range from a lot of different things, right? Just imagine a mini game on your phone or something. That's essentially what they've developed. And by playing those, completing those challenges, by winning the games, you'll earn more ghost tokens. And then by getting more ghost tokens, you can buy more collectibles. And I hope you see where I'm going with this. Because it seems to me, Steve, and I'm interested in your take, but it seems to be kind of that combination between play to earn and pay to win, which we talked about with EA earlier. Yeah, I think that that's probably the best way to say it. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily equate it to pay to win. And that's just because like there are ways for you to earn ghost token that don't require you to own a more expensive, rare, premium Avagachi. So you can earn Ghost through rarity farming. Like there's an actual like farming mechanism where you can get APY on like staking your asset. Um, and also through the winning of these mini games that Chris mentioned a minute ago. Um, the, there is also a divide there that needs to be quickly made. The community in this project is very engaged. Okay, like they're one of the most actively engaged communities in all of NFT land. So they're actively developing community-led minigames. One of the best of which that I um, saw earlier today, which I need to mention, um, is Reverse Pac-Man. <laughs> um, if you think about that again, you're playing with a little ghost avatar. Like this is the funniest thing ever. So you're taking on the role of the ghosts in Pac-Man and you're chasing Pac-Man and you're basically competing against, you know, whatever, like six other ghosts to see who can get Pac-Man first. Uh, I mean, to me, like, I think that's hysterical, but um, it's a lot of fun to actually go and play it. You can go demo it if you want to, um, but they're also doing official mini games that do pay out ghost. So there is more opportunity then for you to go buy portals, which again is what allows you to play with your Avagachi. Um, you can go buy more wearables to enhance your Avagachi, or you can go buy realm parcels, which is like literally their own metaverse of like what they're developing. You can go buy, go buy parcels of land in the Avagachi realm. Um, it's all really quite interesting and very well thought out. So as we go forward a little bit, again, we already mentioned this, it's currently playable, which not a lot of projects can actually say. Um, and I think that's a huge thing to, to make sure everybody's aware of. If you're doing research into an NFT project or a gaming project, playability is a massive factor. If they're just showing you demo tapes, you can be duped really quickly because those gaming assets can be bought or dirt cheap through, um, what is it? Unreal Engine has a marketplace. Oh, yeah. Like that. Un yeah. Unreal Engine is Valve. Valve is a major 
software studio, AAA game developer, Unreal Engine. Actually, Unreal Engine, I think, is epic. Unreal Engine is their open source game development engine. Um, and interestingly enough, whenever they release new versions of Unreal Engine, they actually create essentially game trailers for it to showcase all it can do. Um, and so that that is what uh, Unreal Engine is. Um, and what Steve was saying is that, you know, essentially you can go and just buy, you can buy the avatars, you can buy the art that makes up the background and essentially build out a game trailer and make it look like you have something when in reality you don't. And yeah. that's something that makes me very hesitant about a lot of these metaverse and gaming plays in crypto. One thing I do really like about Avagachi is they not only have a working demo, but they have an active community and developer base that is consistently improving on and adding to the product they currently have in play. And I really like that. Yeah. So with that being said, again, if you go up onto their site, you can read more into their roadmap. I really do recommend it if you are ever at all interested. If you're ever at all interested, there we go. That's how English works. If you're ever at all interested in investing in the ghost token or holding your own, you know, little bag of ghost token or even just buying your own Avagachi NFT, definitely check out the roadmap and the team. Um, their roadmap is very comprehensive and ambitious, but it does all seem like it's like well within the realm of possibility that they could deliver on all of this in the timeline that they're providing, which is really cool and not common. Um, the last piece is that you need to also be looking at their tokenomics model. We're not going to get into that today because again, this is a very, very complex project and we don't want to overwhelm you with you know a bunch of technical information. But their tokenomics are the reason why they now have this phenomenal looking chart. Um, and Chris, you are the better at TA of the two of us. I want you to kind of dive into this a little bit because they've been around since I believe it was like October of 2020. And the trend on this chart is just really, really good. It's this is this is a phenomenal chart. Like this, if I if you're in crypto. What Avagachi has for a chart. So you're if you're with us on YouTube, you're seeing it now. If you're not uh, and you're listening on Spotify, just look up Avagachi, go to CoinGecko, CoinMarketCap, wherever you get your charts from, and look at Avagachi. GHST is what it trades under. Look at their chart. It is beautiful. You're seeing, you know, steady price, and then you see a spike, and then you'll see a dip after the spike where it's gonna hold and then go up again and dip down and then hold and then increase and then dip a little and then hold and increase. And if you're kind of picking up what I'm putting down, this is exactly what we see with Bitcoin, right? And this is what we want to see with Bitcoin whenever we talk about it is every time there's a new peak, obviously, the next step is that it's going to dip. And a big part of valuing a lot of coins is finding those support levels. And what Avagachi's chart is showing us is that after every peak, yes, it dips, but its next level of support is above the previous one, which means that although it's going up and down, it is trending upward and trending upward consistently. And now though, I do want to mention for anyone who is uh, more statistically minded or technically knowledgeable, one interesting thing that we love to see, and this is like blew my mind because I haven't seen this ever, is if you take Avagachi's chart and you take it out of the normal view and you put it into a logarithmic view, the chart is almost identical, which for those who don't know is incredibly rare. You do not see this happen very often and is a big deal because it's essentially reinforcing that 
the way Avagachi's token price and value is trending is very, very good. So I'm going to turn this back over to Steve so he can break down his final thoughts on this for you. But what I would say is do your own research. I'm very skeptical about gaming plays. However, this is a play that is, has a very positive outlook for me. One of the biggest things you want in any game space or game uh, universe is you want a solid product that you can actually play. That's first and foremost. But barely missing out on the number one spot is having a committed team of developers and community that want to see the game succeed, that are going to continuously roll out content and continuously be active members. And that's what we're seeing here. So do your own research. But Steve, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think to wrap wrap this all up with a bow, um, the thing that I want people to take away from this is that gaming is a very rapidly developing space. It's becoming one of the things in blockchain that is most um, eyed and most um, spoken about. So... To echo Chris, make sure you're doing your own research. But I am very, very bullish about crypto gaming and crypto NFTs and the metaverse. All of those topics are things that I am personally a lot more bullish on. So I typically will end up doing a much greater degree of my research into these types of projects before I ever would consider investing in them. And again, don't hear what we're not saying, right? We are not telling you to invest in this. We are telling you that on a fundamental level, a lot of, like this project checks a lot of boxes. So do what you will with it. We're just here to give you info. Uh, but for my money, I would say this is a project worth trusting. So I'm probably going to do a little bit more of my own digging into it later on, try to get in touch with the team a little bit, ask a few more questions. But from everything that I see, this is a very, very legit project. So that is two bulls, one coin. Verdict is not a shit coin. Not a shit coin in the slightest. So with that being said, again, if you are new to our channel, please make sure that you're commenting, liking, and subscribing. Let us know what you think of this content. What are your thoughts on Avagachi? What are your thoughts on everything else that we've talked about today? Is there something that you would like to see featured on two bulls, one coin in the future? Please let us know in the comments. But also make sure that whether you're listening to us on Recast through your favorite podcast platform, make sure you're subscribed. But also, if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you subscribe there and click that bell to make sure that you know when we are ever coming online with a new live show. So what do you say we get into the big daddy of them all, what we all come here for every single Friday? Let's do it, Steve. The Aftershock. So I don't know if you heard me at the beginning of the show, but Bitcoin has found some very unlikely allies in recent days. And the first of which comes from this really interesting Twitter, um, let's just call it a Bitcoin measuring contest, um, (laughs) between the mayors of Miami, Florida and um, New York City. So a couple of days ago, Miami's mayor, Francis Suarez, has reiterated his commitment to take a Bitcoin paycheck. So his next paycheck um, that he gets from being a mayor um, will be paid entirely out in Bitcoin. Pretty interesting stuff. But then the mayor-elect for New York City, who was just recently elected, Eric Adams, decided that he needed to hop into the comments and immediately tell him, well, you know what? I'm uh, going to take my first three paychecks in Bitcoin. It's just like you can't get... like. (laughs) 
in the in the crypto space, like machismo and like this idea of puffing up your chest and being really um, like I'm a big deal too is kind of ridiculous. And it's ridiculous in real life too. But this is just stupid. It's so stupid. But you now have mayoral candidates in multiple cities and very prominent cities at that that are backing Bitcoin and want Bitcoin to be a part of their greater economy. Uh, Chris, what do you think about um, this uh, pissing match? Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not really a big fan typically of piss flying all around me, but this is one sword fight that I have no issue with because at the end of the day, all press is good press. And this is going to bring a lot of eyes into very big financial markets in the US to crypto. And I also think this is going to be kind of a shock for the New York City mayor-elect, mayor Eric Adams, because <laughs> New York notoriously has ridiculous taxes. And I think that Eric Adams taking some paychecks in Bitcoin, he'll inevitably you know, probably sell it at some point. Those capital gains will get taxed at an absurd rate. And hopefully this will give the crypto community another person to go to bat for us, right? They'll see how insane some of the tax rates are. Maybe it'll help out your traditional finance friends. But he'll also say that, oh, well, my normal, you know, however much paycheck, I'm not sure how much the mayor of New York gets paid, seems to be worth a lot more today because Bitcoin is up. So I hope that he has some good luck early on and helps him develop that bullish mindset that a lot of us either creating this content or consuming it have. Yeah, and I think that that really is the bigger point here is like people don't, I guess if you're like listening to us and you're from outside of the States, you probably don't have a great perspective on why exactly this is a big deal. And to give you some context, like we have governors of states, right? Every single state in the United States has its own governor. It's like an elected political leader for that state's policy going forward. In this, in the state of New York, the mayor of New York City actually has, all, I would argue, like as much, if not more influence in local politics than does a governor. So absolutely. And again, it's a very unique you know, situation because New York City is one of the most um, prominent cities in our country. So to think that you've got that backing there, I kind of see it more as like, this is going to cause ripple, like a, a bigger ripple effect in the state of New York, which desperately needs new policy around crypto. Because it's like, I heard this said earlier, like, frankly, if you're living in New York, I don't know what you're doing anymore. <laughs> like, if you haven't moved out of New York by now, I'm sorry. I'm really just sorry. That's the best I can give you because the policies up there are so debilitating to be able to grow wealth. And it's, it's its own... It's its own thing. So not to get wrapped up in it for too long, but I think this is actually really good for the Bitcoin narrative. And I certainly hope that more of our politicians and elected leaders decide to take this type of stance. But let's jump into the next unlikely allies. And that would be none other than Congressman Emmer and Soto out of the House of Representatives for the United States, who have decided they want to chime in on the discussion of a spot Bitcoin ETF. Of course, the U.S. SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, is the one that makes the decision at the end of the day on whether or not we get a spot Bitcoin ETF approved. We got Bitcoin futures approved. Why not the spot? That's the question that everybody's wondering, right, Gary Gensler? So 
the big news out of this is that these two are two of the most powerful players in the Congressional Blockchain Caucus. And that is a group that's basically trying to determine what policy needs to be made around blockchain to protect blockchain developers in our country. And they are currently making it very publicly known that they don't buy Gary Gensler's argument that derivative Bitcoin is safer because it's bullshit. Plain and simple. So these two specific um, congressmen have come together in a bipartisan effort because they, again, are coming from two different sides. They come from different sides of the aisle. And they're basically saying to um, the SEC and to Gary Gensler, look, we want investors to have a choice in this. If they want to invest in a Bitcoin spot ETF, let them do it. If they want to invest in futures, let them do it, but give them the ability to choose between the two. Um, because again, a spot ETF is backed up by Bitcoin. Whereas a futures ETF is trading on a derivative. It's trading on what the future of that currency in terms of outlook looks like. What does the market's pulse feel like on it? Um, I can't frankly get more excited than I am about this because I love the fact that certain politicians are starting to stand up and say, hey, Gary, sit down. <laughs> Chris, what do you think? Hey, I love it. I mean, this is... I, I love it just from a political standpoint. This is two people from opposing parties um, in a time right now in America where the opposing parties do not want to work together. This is a, an example of you know two parties coming together to kind of work on an issue but in a way that actually benefits us more than it does them, right? They're, they're really kind of trying to push out the American ideal here, which is it's supposed to be a country of freedoms, right? Of personal freedoms. It, you should have the choice to live your life to some degree in the way you want. And they're trying to say that here by saying, who are we to decide what you know, these assets are? Let the investors decide, right? They're saying, okay, if it's risky, fine. Tell them it is risky, but then let them invest in it. It's not up to the government to say, oh, you know, it's risky. You can't put your money there, right? That's not their role. And their role isn't even to necessarily make things less risky, right? Their role is to regulate it, right? Make sure that no one is getting scammed. And at the end of the day, just give you the information to make those decisions. Because the way I see it, a lot of these crypto investments are no more risky than investing in some, you know, no-name Silicon Valley startup. And I think taking that angle at it and looking at it from that perspective is the correct way, right? There's no one really regulating, you know, whether you can invest in the newest electric vehicle startup. So why should governments be regulating if you can invest in the newest crypto? And I like that we finally have you know, the blockchain caucus, right? It's nice to hear that in the US's uh, legislative body, there are a group of uh, representatives that are actively fighting for what we all want to see succeed. Yeah. And let's just go ahead and throw this one out there to the public. Um, Gary Gensler apparently just made comment on this saying, make no mistake, regardless of the label or purported mission, we will be looking at the economic realities of a given product or arrangement to determine whether it complies with the security laws. You are just a marshmallow. I'm sorry. Like, I can't with you anymore. I just can't. And I know that Richard's going to be pissed that I just dropped an F-bomb on the show. But I just can't. Okay? 
that is, it hurts me to see that somebody feels like they need to respond to a comment with a bunch of fluff. That's why I'm calling him Marshmallow. Okay, <laughs> understand that. So um, Gary Gensler, aka uh, Crypto Enemy Number One, you've been served. Emmer and Soto are coming for you, and I really hope that they end up getting you to approve a Spock Bitcoin ETF. That'd be really nice. So let's move on to the final story um, and see if we get taken down or demonetized for me dropping an F-bomb. <laughs> Bank of America's COO um, just came out and seemingly has decided to flip crypto positive. Um, Chris, I'm going to let you have the floor for this one so that I can um, not let my rage get the better of me again. <laughs> Um, so this is an awesome piece of news. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Steve and I were meeting yesterday to kind of pre-prep for what we discussed today. And I think less than five minutes before him and I hopped on a call, an article popped up that Bank of America's COO, so Chief Operating Officer, had just flipped crypto positive. And what he actually said was that crypto... He didn't see crypto as a competitor to traditional financial institutions. A lot of the rhetoric we've been seeing recently has been an us versus them mentality where traditional finance, the American government institutions, so you know, not Wall Street, but the SEC, the Treasury, they've been looking at it as, okay, crypto is going to take down traditional finance. What are we going to do? It's going to take a lot of power away from us. Bank of America CEO is taking another approach. And this is the way I look at crypto in that it's... You know, it's not here to replace banks. It's not here to get rid of money. It's another asset in the same way that we have fiat and we have gold. You also have art. You have real estate, cars, collectibles. Those are all assets that have monetary value that banks can manage. And the, what the CEO here is saying is that crypto is the same way. Banks are going to start carrying... Or he foresees banks beginning to carry crypto on their balance sheets, having accounts where people can hold their crypto. And that this isn't something we should be fighting against. But if banks started to kind of work with the crypto community and integrate it, it would benefit everyone. And so I, I think this is really positive news. And honestly, I think this is even better than the previous two because Bank of America is one of the largest financial institutions in the world. And to have their chief operating officer come out and say, this is another asset like pretty much all the others. Rather than fight it, we should just go along with it and figure out a way to incorporate it. Because at the end of the day, he's probably seeing that, wow, if someone invested $8,000 into Shiba Inu a year ago and made $5.9 billion, imagine what a company with billions in cash could do in this market. So, yeah. So look, $3 billion under management is no small amount. And you need to take this type of news seriously. So look, if we can see more bank um, executives come out in at least some type of favor of crypto, it'll be a nice sign. But just be warned, like the banks are still the enemy. That's 100% what is still real. The banks oppose crypto. And this is just like the first or second person who actually has come out in favor. So hopefully this starts to shift a couple more perspectives. Um, but time will tell. That does, in fact, wrap up our Aftershock segment. Again, if you enjoyed today's Aftershock segment, please let us know in the comments below or give this video a like. We would certainly appreciate it. Um, before we go, of course, we always have a few announcements for you. Um, so 
let's jump into those real quick. This upcoming week, um, we've got brand new episodes coming up with Richard, who is sitting down for interviews on Monday with Alex Smirnov from DeBridge um, in a really interesting episode of the Cryptocurrent Podcast. And then on Thursday of next week, we have Tim Glover from Chronicle, both of which are going to be, in my opinion, some of the better episodes that you will see um, in the crypto space in general. Otherwise, what to watch for in the week ahead? November 11th, finally, finally, Polkadot parachain auctions begin. This is going to absolutely be on the aftershock next week. Let me tell you that because this is one of the biggest deals in all of crypto. And the fact that we're finally getting it is huge. So study up on your Polkadot, learn a little bit. And um, otherwise, again, do us a favor. If you're not subscribed to the show yet, please do. Um, We would greatly appreciate it. Otherwise, Chris, what do you have coming up this week in terms of our short form content? So this past Wednesday, November 3rd, I covered the topic about rebase coins, something that I'd only just learned about. So really interesting. It's going to be a very relevant topic, I believe, in the next, in the foreseeable future in crypto. So definitely go check that out. If you don't know anything about rebase coins, I'll make sure to break it down and give you a basic understanding. So here at Thanksgiving in a few weeks and someone asks you, hey, what's a rebase coin? You'll be able to tell them. But as for Wednesday's episode and what I'll be doing then, you'll just have to tune in to our YouTube channel and find out. Awesome. Well, again, guys, it's been a pleasure giving you another Friday episode of Cryptocurrent Live. Please make sure you're subscribed. Follow us on all of our socials above. You can follow me at Steve Miller underscore PHX. You can follow Chris at It's Mikus per usual. We hope that you have a great week. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you next week on another edition of Cryptocurrent Live. Stay Cryptocurrent, folks. Mm-hmm.